Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. As the year progresses, it's easy for some of those New Year's resolutions to fall to the wayside, but if you've resolved to take on a new challenge, like starting a business, changing careers, or launching a creative project, achieving your goals might be easier than you think. With Squarespace's award-winning templates, creating your website is a simple, intuitive process. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code B-I-N-G-E to get 10% off your first purchase, plus a free domain. That's B-I-N-G-E off your first purchase. Squarespace. Make your next move. Make your next website. Welcome back to EW's binge of Friday Night Lights. It's time for season three, my favorite season. So many great moments to get into. We start with a time jump. We say farewell to Smash Williams. We say farewell to Jason Street. Everyone's talking about going to college. And in the end, it's a big change in the works for Eric Taylor and his professional career. I'm Darren Franich, a.k.a. Franny Riggins, the third and least beloved Riggins brother. And way over in New York... <laughs> I am slamming Sammy Highville, who is kind of wondering if that nickname is getting old at this point, but is just going to keep going because I have dedicated myself to this joke. Well, as Darren mentioned, we have a ton to talk about. We have a lot of great cast interviews talking about Darren's favorite season. We are going to get into all of the goodbyes and the weddings. There's one wedding, singular, and all that good stuff. All right, Darren, let's start at the beginning of the season. With the time jump, obviously, we talked a lot in our last episode about season two. There was a writer's strike. That season did not get a full ending. And this one essentially picked up with a bit of a time jump. And we learned what happened to these characters in a recap instead of in an episode. What were your feelings about the way that they decided to do this? I loved it. I wish more TV shows would do this. There is just such a profound sense in the first five minutes of this season that the show has rediscovered everything about itself that we love. Um, you know, we talked last week. There's a lot about season two that does work, but just right from the beginning, slamming Sammy Mead is the first person we hear. He walks us through in just a, a really quick fashion. Where is Dylan at right now? Where are the Panthers at right now? We learned that Smash Williams got injured, and so ultimately they could not uh, ultimately, you know, read, reclaim their state championship in the previous season. We're right back to that pilot sensibility of everything is at risk. There's like a, a quick reference uh, in Coach Taylor's presence about the two-game rumor, which I think means basically that people are saying like, if he loses two games in a row, then Coach Taylor is going to lose his job. You know, we're right back into that brilliant tension. And at the same time, I think it's just great. I wish more TV shows would do this. After the last season where there was just so much buildup to Riggins and Lila, and I'm sure on some level they were thinking, well, you know, we need to finish that story. No, they cut right to the next chapter of that story. You see that Lila is now living with Buddy Garrity. She is fully together with Tim Riggins. And, you know, it's kind of just a question of, like, you know, are they going to, like, put a label on it? I just think it's great, Sam. I mean, I have to imagine that 
after the writer's strike, I'm sure there was a lot of talk about, like, you know, what do we do? How do we kind of, like, you know, do we jump right back in? How do we kind of skip ahead? And I think the decision to cut right to this new story, right down to, I think they first mention J.D. McCoy, who is going to be the most important new character of the season. They mention him just right at the top, and you're just, you're very aware of what are the tensions that will define this season, what is the story that we're telling, and, you know... Certain elements of season two, we'll just pretend that everyone's forgotten about them over the last eight months or so. So I think I I really love how this season begins. How did you kind of feel about it? Like I just I feel like it accelerates us so immediately to the point of the highest drama. Yeah, I will never forget. Literally, I have the image in my head when I'm watching that recap of what happened last season, and like Smash is flying through the air. Like I can picture like the flip in my mind after he's hit when he gets injured, and I just remember being like. That never happened, and I was so <laughs> thrown. And then suddenly, like Tammy's principal and like Tyra and Landry broke up after we watched them kill for each other. This is the start of something that will really come to define Friday Night Lights, which is storylines that entire seasons are built around. Like literally, like you know, Tyra and Landry. Just the whole like central action of of season two that we saw of it was them kind of you know coming together and you know just it is swept away very immediately at the start of this new season. And I love how like Tyra. There's almost like a slight layer of her talking to the audience where Matt Saracen's like, "So are you guys together?" Or something and Tyra's like, "No, we broke." <laughs> I just love, I love that. What do you think about Tammy being principal? Because I think for the show, it was really important, but it, it definitely shifts the dynamic in a really interesting way. Like, how do you kind of feel about how that is just sort of introduced right away here at, at the start of season three? I agree with you that I like the way that they start the season is essentially just like foot on the gas. Like, they're going to go. You're going to catch up. They're going to tell this story. And I love what Tammy as principal does for her dynamic, both with Tyra, her dynamic, with Eric, just everyone. But I do remember, you know, being a little caught off guard and just kind of asking myself, did Tammy ever want to be principal? Like she, I remember her expressing wanting to get back to work and she liked working with these kids, but I just, maybe she did. Maybe I'm not remembering it now, but I always remember being slightly caught off guard, but also at the same time into it because the Taylors should run everything. They should run off the villain. <laughs> they should run the world, whatever they want. But I remember when we talked to two of the writers on the show, Bridget Carpenter and Carrie Aaron, they kind of mentioned the decision behind this time jump and how they felt that they owed everyone kind of that quote-unquote back-to-school fresh feeling. And I think they managed to give us that. I think with the writer's strike, we had to push the story forward. We, we did a big jump in time. Yes. Because when we came yes, back, that's right. Smash had been injured and was, mm -hmm. like, for a long time. Lila was in bed with, with Tim, which I remember... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really had to wrap my head around because I never got to see them fall back in love, which killed me. I know. I know. <laughs> it's like we did, we did a couple of cheats. Yeah, like yeah. like Tim and Lyle, we we did we had the the time jump allowed us to do a little cheat. Yeah, you know, with with the injury with Tim and Lila, and yeah, I think with Lila at the Christian radio station, I think that's just kind of because yeah. it just it had just served away. It, it served its purpose. And it was part of that year's storylines, and we didn't get to finish the year, so we we just moved on. Yeah, that's, that is the thing. It's both, there's like a practical aspect, which is 
at the beginning of any season, you really owe your audience and your characters this, like, fresh, new, back-to-school feeling. Like, yeah. you're in for ev- everything and more. And yeah. Here's you really stuff. don't want to spend any happens. time wrapping up or answering anything lingering. That's It's sort of unfortunate, but it's like you could pick that, notion apart but if you actually did it if you went okay well we're going to answer everybody would go oh so boring why like is this like new if, season like that you know if we picked it up and Santiago was dating Buddy Garrity we could have done that <laughs> sure <laughs> but, oh my God. but it would have had to be like a huge parallel like, universes something something <laughs> new had happened you know right Santiago <laughs> killed Buddy Garrity brand, I don't new, know. brand new thing yeah to think about going back to school, the other thing that I think is really interesting and really important for how the show will move going forward is this episode at the start of the third season is the first time that we hang out with a character who has been totally defined by high school football and now he is no longer a high schooler and may no longer be playing football. One of the things that I always point to for why I like season three is that in some respects, it almost gives you like three different series finales. It is all this incredible catharsis because the first four episodes are very much about Smash Williams. The second four, you kind of reach the end of the Jason Street story. And then the end of this season, in some respects, is like a finale for this whole generation. And the Smash Williams stuff, I always find super compelling. Um, you know, we start with Smash. We discover that he lost his scholarship after he, I think he tore his ACL. It's the kind of thing that, from my rudimentary understanding of football, it seems like it could have been a career-ending injury. So we pick up with him. He is working with the coach kind of after hours. The coach is trying to kind of get him back into physical form. He's shed about, like, half a second from his usual speed, which which I assume basically means, like, he's gone from being flash to a slightly less <laughs> fast flash. <laughs> to kid um, flash? Yes, 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 exactly. And what I find interesting about this is Smash is a character who the whole time we've known him, he's just been such a larger-than-life figure. I mean, like, right from the beginning, even compared to the other football players on the Panthers, he was just such a character. And, you know, to some extent, we saw behind that veneer and we saw how a lot of that kind of ego was him covering for the fact that he felt the weight of the world on his shoulders. This is the most desperate we ever see him in, in these first few episodes. I think it retroactively gives his arc just a lot more sense of... A lot more reality, I think, in a way. Like, you know, to see him go from being this awesome king-of-the-school football player to a point where, I mean, to a certain extent, the drama of his season is, will I try to be a football player or will I get, like, a nice job as a manager with a company car? You know, like, it's interesting to get that kind of almost financial realism around this character so late in his arc. I don't know, like, how do you kind of feel about how his arc kind of progresses in these first four episodes? I remember at first actually being a little upset with the whole smash injured idea just because it is a way to kind of inject reality into this character which ultimately I enjoy but at first I just had such a feeling that with Jason Street we got so much reality I mean like if you want a reality check that's it for you like like he is this football god and by the end of the season you know he is never playing football again he's never walking again by the end of the season by the end of the pilot he spent half of the first season in physical therapy like I mean which is incredible but I'm, I'm not sure how much more like brutal reality you can have on a TV show right so I think I was looking at it as God like not even Smash can make it like are any of 
these guys like actually going to make it or is this just about this town where they're great but then they're ultimately not that great (laughs) so I remember being frustrated by it until like it really started to play out and I started to watch his dynamic change with coach Taylor and just watching the change in smash and kind of getting to see him really be a different person in a lot of ways in this season then I really started to love it and once we ultimately get to talking about his goodbye I was like yes done this is great and they kind of found a way to like I think salvage a little bit and have it not be too much of a reality check where it's like yes you can fall but you can also build yourself back up and it's this wonderful story and I remember when we talked to Gaius Charles he talked about how the injury kind of more or less just served to keep him around for a little bit I think maybe as a result of them not getting to finish him in his story in season two so I think he had some interesting things to say about it. You know, that, that's sort of like part of the whole experience, too. You know, you, I mean, obviously you have folks who get injured and it's like the Jason Street type of scenario, which is just, you know, something, you know, on a whole other level. But, um, but you know, I, I knew the, the writers were doing, were setting up, you know, the smash sort of send off in a way that could kind of, you know, create the, create a sense of urgency, but also create a sense of, um, you know, peril that he had to overcome because, you know, the thing about it is you kind of even know, I mean, even going season three, I knew that, you know, Smash would be there for the first four episodes, but it's like, you know, what are the hurdles that he has to overcome to sort of get him to a place where he could transition? And I don't, I don't necessarily know that I was clear on how, like, that he would get the scholarship, um, obviously until, you know, the scripts came and, you know, he figured all that out. But I, I knew that the writers were doing something fantastic and, and great. And, um, you know, when, when it was that storyline, it, it, actually, it actually kind of made sense because it kind of gave Smash a reason to stick around. And it also made it uncertain to the audience, you know, where he would eventually end up, you know, because the storyline, you know, the storyline could have been that he, you know, ended up getting this amazing scholarship and lived happily ever after. But I think having that extra layer of, oh, no, he's injured, what's going to happen? Just kind of up the stakes, if that makes sense. And one thing I like about his perspective on it is, you know, there's a way of watching this season where you, you can see some of the mechanics if you look for it. Like, you can see they're like, well, we, you know, we need to give Smash an ending, so we need to give him this sort of arc. Mm-hmm. We need to give Street an ending. And, you know, this is something that runs throughout Friday Night Lights is there are some storylines where the way they end it feels as if it is in a, a kind of, let's say, hyper-real form of reality. Like, I'm not sure that I quite believe that a an injured high school football player who has lost all opportunity to play at college can walk onto a college football field and immediately, like, like literally it seems as if one day later <laughs> he has been signed. They play it a little bit fast and loose, so, like, you know, it's not like they say you have a full scholarship, but it's still very clear that, like, this is a lot of wish fulfillment for this character. Character. And I think the reason why it works is that I think they earn it so much with the smash and coach dynamic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it brings forward a strength of Eric Taylor, which is how he tailors himself ooh, nice. as a coach to each of the players. And we talked about this a little bit with Gaius Charles, how what you see in this relationship is a very personal relationship between the coach and a player, which gets into how he is a very different but equally effective manager and coach for everybody on the Panthers. For a lot of the guys on the team, or the char- characters on the team, 
Um, I think that, that Coach Taylor became somewhat of a father figure, you know, and I think, you know, with that in mind, from what I understand, you know, parents parent different kids differently, you know. So I think he kind of saw the need of each uh, student and each, you know, uh, person on the team and just kind of filled in his Coach Taylor leadership and, and instruction and direction, uh, you know, based off of what we each needed as, as characters. And, uh, you know, Smash needed somebody to kind of rein him in, kind of kind of <laughs> bring his ego down a little bit. But then there's opportunities where, like, I remember the scene where he takes, where Coach Taylor takes Smash to the restaurant and he shows, like, a diner. And he shows Smash a guy who used to be, you know, like, you know, on the football team. And then he, he became like, I guess, you know, a, a, a cook or like a sous chef or, you know, a line cook at this sort of like um, kind of not so great, you know, mom and pop diner. And so it kind of like was a reality check for Smash. You know, so I think what was, what was really interesting is just seeing how the writers kind of um, use the Coach Taylor character and the Coach Taylor um, presence to really just kind of shepherd each character, you know, each each of the student football player characters. And, you know, I mean, even even that last sort of arc of Smash's transition into college, you kind of saw how, how it was Coach Taylor who helped to get in that one last, you know, walk on um, or that one last shot at, at, at a position on the team. And, uh, and he gets it, and he, you know, he goes, and he finally gets to, you know, go to college and and be, be the smash on the next level. So, um, so that was really cool. And then, you know, just on the other side, so like the reality of the, you know, the experience of working with Kyle Chandler is that he was just such a generous, humble, positive guy. So that it, it usually helps when you have a really positive relationship with an actor, and then you can take that and then like, you know translated into the dynamic between two characters, if that makes sense. One of the great things about how this season is constructed is you just get these moments where certain pairings of characters seem to really get these great send-offs. And I find that the coach and his relationship to Smash and that personal relationship, I just think it's really compelling. And I mean, man, like, if we're talking about moments from this show that just bring me to tears when I just think about them... Coach Taylor talking to Smash right before his big audition. You listen to me. You listen to me closer than you've ever listened to me before. You remember that Rutledge game, fourth quarter? You came into that game. You took over that game. Play by play. You owned that game. I watched you that day, and I said to myself, that kid is going to go all the way. Right now, right here, God has placed you to do what you do best. As someone who never played any sports and was never good at them, you're just so aware that, like, it's all coming down to this. Like, this is it for Smash. This is where his life either goes one direction or the other. And I just think it it really works, man. You, you know, like, it really hits you on every level that it can hit you. The last shot of Gaius Charles as he's playing on the Dillon Panthers field with his buddies and just laughing. It even goes to slow motion a little mm -hmm. bit while he's talking, so it sort of looks like the uh, music video for Yellow by Coldplay. I love it all. I'm totally there for it. And, you know. I do have to say two things. One, 
I, Darren, I love you so much. I think you can sum up your like knowledge of football when you, when you called it an audition <laughs> versus a tryout. Like that is like you got. <laughs> I have he's, been quietly he's, he's... crying to myself for the past minute. You know, Smash is Smash is auditioning for a role in the chorus line, right? Isn't that how it works? You first you play in the chorus line, and then ultimately you go you you get you get up to a quarterback. This is the season where Matt Sarazen becomes the quarterback understudy. That's that's how it works, right? That's, that's how football exactly works. Exactly how it works. <laughs> it was a magical moment, almost as magical as Smash's goodbye. No, but I think. What I so agree with is you talking about, I love that they took this character, Smash, who, when we first meet him in season one, feels very singular. Like, he's a part of this team, but, like, you don't get this, like, he and Riggins are not friends in the beginning. He's really not friends with just about anyone. And then, like, over the course of this injury and just the seasons in general, you see him befriend Riggins and you see him befriend Saracen and by the end of it he has become this somewhat normal very lovable guy who gets to end his time with his friends like on the field playing some football and it's just like if you think back to pilot smash he would have been like I don't have time to do this guys like I gotta go get ready and it's like he's been so humbled but they still end it with I love that his final words on this show are where are you at because he's still <laughs> like he's still smashed and I think no, that's I, the perfect balance I think you really led to something Sam because I mean he gets that great line in episode two of season three which is that he used to feel like he was part of something bigger with mm-hmm. the Dylan Panthers and it's not so much that he is worse at football now as that on some level he feels less motivated which is great because as you said when we first met him you would have thought he was a total out for himself mercenary type player and this is something that that the show returns to a lot this sort of idea of to be a part of a team and a part of a community versus to be kind of in it for yourself and we'll talk about this more in relation to the McCoys and their perspective on football which is in a lot of ways is much more cynical and much more self-focused but Sam can we talk a little bit about the Riggins brothers for a second we can Um, always talk about the Riggins brothers, Darren. Tim Riggins, you know, he's a pretty important character. I think that's that's a fair statement to say. Great stuff for him this season. My theory running forward is that, like, Billy Riggins is sort of like the secret protagonist of Friday Night Lights. Like, (laughs) here's a guy who we meet him so long after his glory days. He Mm -hmm. talks in season three about how, like, you know, there's no more like championships or rally girls for me anymore and you know we met him in season one he was he seemed like he was already like kind of a wreck this season starts with him proposing to Mindy Collette and them two together it just works so well I mean so much of season two was about sending these characters we love off in a million different directions and the idea to bring together the Rigginses and the Collettes in holy matrimony I just think it gives this season such an incredible core and the way it keeps on returning to Billy and to Mindy as the sort of more important main characters are having their own dramas I think it gives this season a lot of a lot of texture. You can tell that there's great chemistry between the actors. Um, mm-hmm. You can tell that, like, Tim, who's at this point of great change in terms of, you know, will he or will he not go to college? And Billy, who's at this moment of, like, trying to become more of a grown-up person. I think it's all just fascinating. How do you kind of feel about how their dynamic plays out over the course of season three? I love it. I feel like, oddly, and this is a weird thing to say the more I even think about it myself, but it's like, 
their relationship brings a bit of levity to everything. It's like, totally. yes, they're stealing copper wire and they're doing illegal things, but they're also being like Billy and Tim. And it is, you know, to your point about like Tim contemplating going to college, we see Billy this season really be about as fatherly as he ever is to Tim. Yes. And yes. there's, but they never, the thing that I love that they do on the show is they remain so true to that character of Billy because he never, he doesn't just morph into this great brother who <laughs> suddenly like puts Tim first and helps Tim get into college. Like, no, like he loves him and you see him try and like bless his heart, he tries, but he's also Billy. So he's also yes. going to get Tim to do illegal things and like start stupid business ideas that are going to lose them money. But I just, I love that they, allow these brothers to love each other and to have fun and like create these moments of great humor but like also they're just a mess all the time yes billy riggins there are moments in this season where he's talking with a lot of eloquence about like you know we need to help tim and one of the best scenes i think is he talks to jason street about just literally like you know how do i get this kid into college mm -hmm. and they wind up producing the tim riggins sizzle reel which is one of my favorite moments of, of the whole show but then he will also then turn around and still be the sort of like you know like party guy good old boy who like wakes up and has to like go to the bathroom in the sink because like the bathroom is taken like i love that dynamic and i love what it brings out in tim you know each season of this show that i'm rewatching, i will tell myself well this is the best tim riggins season and i told myself that again this season because i realized this season, Tim Riggins becomes, in this strange way, he's always giving people advice. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he gives advice to Lila at the end. He, he, he gives advice to Buddy. He gives great advice to Jason Street, which winds up leading to Jason Street totally changing his life. And he gives lots of advice to his brother, Billy. And, you know, there's that great line when Billy is freaking out that basically Tim says, you're living the American dream. I don't know how it can get any better than this. And I just think that to think about where we met Tim when he just seemed like he was... Such an awesome, hedonistic sort of waste of space in, in some respects. And to see him in this season, never lose that, as you say, Sam. He, he still is sort of a good old boy. And I love how, like, this is a season when no regrets becomes his, his sort of secondary catchphrase. First catchphrase is always Texas forever. But this season, he says no regrets. There's the great uh, sequence when he's taking J.D. McCoy out to sort of, like, make him a real man. And he keeps on saying that night, like, let's make some memories. And ultimately, it becomes just such a sad, like, restatement. Because it's like, oh, this is not the kind of memory that J.D. McCoy wants to have. This is really the beginning of the moment where Tim Riggins is going to stop being this sort of, like, lovable high school kid. And become something very different in the later seasons. And just the changeover of that in season three, I think, is really great. I totally agree with you. I I think we see kind of a different Tim this season and maybe it's like the little romantic in me but I do think it's because this is the one like full season where Tim is happy like yes. he's got the girl like we get essentially the first Tim Lila I love you which to quote it is because I'm kind of madly in love with you which is the perfect <laughs> way for Tim Riggins to tell someone that like but it's, you know, through all of his stuff, like, up to this point, he's been trying to get Lila, and now he has her, and then obviously in future seasons there are other things that happen. But, like, this is the one full season where, like, Tim Riggins gets to have the girl, have football, have his brother, 
And yeah, it's that perfect. I feel like it's the perfect way to sum up a senior year of high school. It's like, you know that next year everything's going to change. Like you have to make a big life choice. College is coming. So Tim is going to do his best because he's Tim and because there's no regrets. He's going to live in this moment as best he can. I think you, you're really on to something there because typically on a show, when a couple who the show has been sort of moving together for a long time, when they finally get together, there are so many things that a TV show can do wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, they can immediately kind of, like, throw a wrench into things with another person for one of them to fall in love with, or they can, you know, they can make them too happy, so then you feel kind of put off by them. Like, I, I always can think of, like, you know, Jim and Pam on The Office. Once they were together, you were always kind of like, ah, oh, they're just less interesting now. Mm -hmm. Conversely, you know, you can do the polar opposite, which is sort of the, the Marissa Ryan, Oliver? Chuck Blair thing. Oliver, yeah, exactly, where you keep on bringing in new people for them to kind of fall for. And I think you're so right, Sam. The show does this great thing, and I, I think only a show like this, where there are so many characters experiencing a lot of different levels of drama, can do, which is that, like, it kind of just makes Lila and Tim a really fun, happy couple. I mean, you know, there's some bits early on where, you know, she's concerned that he's not serious enough. And there may even be the kind of buried sense of Lila knows she's dating someone who's a hedonist who slept with all the rally girls. But, you know, that that doesn't come out as much as you would think. You know, like there's, there's no scene where Riggins is like, I want to go party after the game. Mm -hmm. Quite the opposite. After they win a big game, Riggins is like, I just want to be here on the couch with you, you know? Like, and I think the reason why that works so well, to your point exactly, is in the end, on some level, they know and you know watching the show, it's going to end. And how exactly it's going to end, you're not sure. You're very aware that like Lila is going on one trajectory and Tim is going on a different trajectory. Mm -hmm. And even when there's that brief moment of her saying like, oh, you know, I'll go to San Antonio State with him. You can fundamentally know like that's that's not what, what, what the destiny of this relationship is. And I think you're right. There's just something really nice about giving Tim and Lila this moment together, this sort of like golden age, them being seniors and getting to kind of enjoy this with the knowledge that it's all kind of on a precipice. And that also feels very, very senior year to mm -hmm. me, you know? We should talk a bit about, if we're talking about Tim Riggins, one of the key moments for him this season is the farewell to Jason Street and how that plays out. Again, thinking about how this season is constructed, you've no sooner said farewell to Smash Williams in episode four when Jason Street comes back into play. Jason, obviously, is in a very different place than Smash is. We discover that uh, Aaron did, in fact, keep their child. Their relationship is a little bit uncertain right now. Jason, in a real way, is struggling with the most adult things possible. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I provide for my family? How do I make money? What he decides to do is flip a house. <laughs> and I, I have to say, Sam, like, in, this was airing in 2008, the show had this incredible knack where, like, right as the financial crisis was starting up, you have these characters saying, like, well, this is an awful time to get into the house flipping business, <laughs> but let's, let's, let's flip a house. And I, I love something about just, like, the kamikaze nature of that plan. I also love it because it gives us 
the all-star team of character matchups with Jason Street and Herc and the Riggins boys. I, I want to see a whole fixer-upper type show with these four guys fixing up houses. Th- those are some of my favorite scenes in the whole show. A hundred percent agree. I remember when they first brought up the, the real estate idea, I was a little bit like, okay, I don't really know if I want to watch this, but fine. It is magical like that scene I think they're all just sitting around the table at like a restaurant or a diner and just like tossing out ideas and like you can tell a lot of it is improv especially on Taylor Kitsch's part and like it is just pure joy and I loved every second of it and ultimately it serves a really important purpose because it (laughs) somehow works and Jason gets the money he needs and he makes a very big life decision which ultimately is to become an agent i don't know if you guys have heard about this little barbecue place down in dillon texas it's called ray's barbecue and they have some of the best ribs and you know what if you want to throw a pep rally there they have the space they can make it work it's going to be pretty epic But unfortunately, a lot of people don't know about Ray's because they weren't on the big old thing we call the internet. Until Squarespace came along and set up this beautiful website. Ray's is now crowded every single night. Business is better than ever. So if you find yourself in a situation similar to that and you need to get the word out about a business, a restaurant, maybe you're an artist and you want to put your work out there, Squarespace is used by a wide range of people and businesses and it gives you the ability to create an online platform from which you can easily make your next move into a reality. You can add and arrange your content and features with the click of a mouse. So whether you need a landing page, a gallery, or something to get the word out about some delicious barbecue, tackle your next move with Squarespace. You can start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code BINGE, that's B-I-N-G-E, to get 10% off your first purchase, plus a free domain. That's BINGE for 10% off of your first purchase. Squarespace, make your next move. Make your next website. I mean, Sam, I'm going to start tearing up talking about this. (laughs) The episode where they go to New York City... Mm -hmm. And you see it starts with Tim and Jason, like, walking through the streets of, of Manhattan. I think that's my favorite episode of Friday Night Lights. <gasps> I, like, don't hold me to that. We'll we'll talk about this more in our last show. But I, I've now seen that episode so many times. The first time I saw it, I had not lived in New York yet. I'm now watching it having lived in New York and left. It hits me more each time I watch it. I love them. There's just great moments between them. You feel that Taylor Kitsch and Scott Porter played off each other so well at that point that there's just a lot of stuff between them. It doesn't need to be spoken. I love them going into Paul Stewart <laughs> and being like, oh, this suit, like, you know, Tim Riggins in a Paul Stewart, like, shop is just a great bull in a china shop moment. But I have to add, a very delicate bull who really appreciates cashmere, <laughs> you know? Like, he, he has style. I love them then going down and, and getting two suits. But I think the best goddamn moment was... <laughs> As Jason Street is mulling, like, the end of his life as he knew it, basically. Like, Jason Street can't be an agent, can't provide for his family. What's he going to do? Tim Riggins is reading from the review of Gypsy. And he reads how Gypsy, a Broadway musical which he says involves strippers, is about a woman who is peeled down to her unadorned inn. And I just think that everything about that scene is great. They're walking through Times Square. It's just, you know... 
Everything comes together in that episode. And as we were saying, is there a little bit of wish fulfillment here? Totally. Like, the episode begins with the agent saying, Jason, there's no way you'll get this job. Mm -hmm. You're 19. You didn't go to college. People who get this job are Harvard graduates. And in the end, he gets it. And... Again, I think it just works because it's it's the sincerity of it. It's Scott Porter's performance. Mm-hmm. Scott Porter, really, it's funny because you wouldn't have realized this when we first met Jason Street. He's a hell of a salesman. He has that great like car salesman thing where he just comes at you with like a chain gun assault. You totally believe what he's saying. And I, I just think that it works. And boy, that final scene between him and Aaron and their baby. I get chills. I get tingles. It works on every level. How do you kind of feel about how that, how the Jason Street farewell occurs on the on the TV show? I love how simple it was. Like, if we're talking solely about, like, the final two minutes that Jason Street is on the screen, again, staying so true to those characters, it's not like Riggins is suddenly going to, like, whip out this amazing speech about how in kindergarten you were my best friend and you've stood by my side, like, the entire time. And instead, he just very sweetly says, you know, like, I hope you get everything you want. No matter what happens, you're always going to be my best friend. And then, of course, because they have to, they end things with a little Texas rubber and they're both crying and I'm crying. And I remember when we spoke to Scott Porter, he talked about how literally every time they even attempted to film that scene, he cried. So we are not alone. The biggest one of all is, is my farewell scene with Taylor in New York City. That scene, I couldn't, I couldn't keep it together. But I couldn't not cry, and Taylor couldn't not cry, and uh, there's such a finality to it. That was the last scene I ever shot uh, on the show, so that left an indelible mark on me, too. Uh, it's, it's a special moment that I'll, I'll never forget, and it was odd to shoot it in New York. It was odd to not be shooting my last scene in Texas, because Texas, we shot in Austin, and it meant so much to me, and it, it meant so much to the show. So being in New York... Uh, it really felt like, like closure. I wasn't where I, where I normally had worked. Uh, you know, I wasn't around a bunch of the people who I'd normally worked with, and it just kind of felt like a very final scene. And it, uh, and it was, uh, I think it happened uh, in such a way that, I, you know, I'm very proud of it. I think the performances were great, but, you know, it was, it was very much a little bit of closure and the beginning of me moving on, so... One of the things that uh, Scott mentioned was it's strange in a way that this character, the last time we see him, it's not in Texas. And Mm -hmm. season three, I think, really introduces this idea that Dylan is, in some respects, this great place we want to live. In other respects, it's a scary place where if you lose the game on Friday, they start putting for sale signs on your front porch and everyone turns on you very Lord of the Flies style. But for a lot of these people, their destiny is somewhere else. And Mm -hmm. what I love about how they leave Jason Street, there's that great scene in his second to last episode where he's talking to Lila and he's asking her, do you think I'd be a good sports agent? Am I going to leave? And what's great about that scene, and I really think it's some of the best acting that Minka Kelly did on the show, when she says stuff like, you know, I think you'll be a great sports agent. There's a lot that's not said there that you can really read in the performances. You you can feel in that moment that, like, these are two people who had a very different fate. When we first met them, they knew what was going to happen. Jason was going to go off and be a big football star. She was going to come with him. Everything has changed for them, and they're okay with that. Like, they aren't sad people who are looking back forever. Like, Jason now has a family. Lila has her own kind of journey that she's going on. But there's still this sense of everything that they lost. What's interesting is... um. 
I've been rewatching it on my girlfriend's uh, DVDs of the show. On the DVD, there's a deleted scene in Jason Street's last episode, which is actually his farewell to Coach Taylor. It's kind of interesting. Oh. Like he he goes in, he asks the coach if he has the tapes that uh, Street gave him in season two because he wants Noah to watch those tapes someday, and. It's interesting. Like, I, I think I understand why they lost the scene. I mean, like, you know, you can only have so many like tender-hearted farewells before the show just becomes like really like overdrawn. But it's interesting to think of. They very clearly knew the end of this story is Riggins and Street, and it is Street sort of saying farewell. And the last shot of that episode, which always gets me, is like right as Aaron sort of reaches down to hug Jason and tell him like how much she missed him. The camera cuts back to Riggins and Taylor Kitsch. The look on his face is so incredible. He seems to just like, he just like lets out this huge sigh of relief and then is crying and laughing all at once. I mean, I, I just, everything about that on an emotional level just gets me so completely. We're, we're getting to the point in the season where things get pretty real for our characters. And in some respects, things don't end up so well for them as we would hope. And just to have a moment like that of total grace is something that I, I think it really speaks to what this show could do and how emotional it could be. It also speaks to, I feel like, Riggins, his emotional maturity, because I think it's so easy, especially, you know, in earlier seasons to classify Riggins as like this dumb guy who just... He, want, he likes women, he doesn't care about school, all this stuff. But, like, the fact that, like, he's, what, 17, 18 <laughs> max in this scene? And he has the emotional maturity to be like, hey, best friend, I love you. I want you to have everything you want. Goodbye. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just, like, I remember leaving my friends for college and being, like, a mess. And so I love that they just kind of had it really just like speak to their relationship and also the fact that like they're still best friends it's really not that big of a deal yeah. people don't need to be like losing their minds jason just now lives very far away yeah you're getting at something else that we'll talk about a lot in the next couple of seasons which is that when you watch the first couple of seasons and even deep into season two you can kind of pick out any character and say that they are the central character of this show. And like, I, I don't mean the star, but that like this character represents everything the show is kind of all about and its interests. And I think that that's the episode where you realize, to some extent, Riggins is always going to kind of be, if not our focal character, then like the fulcrum through which everything kind of operates. And even in season five, which he's in less, that's the point where like Billy Riggins kind of comes up and you're always aware of him. And the way the camera stays with him in that scene and you realize that like, this is no longer Jason Street's story. In a weird way, this story is now going to be about Tim Riggins saying farewell to people, which happens a lot, it turns out. And I just think that that's really interesting. And the layer of melancholy, it lends the show. I, I make it sound more depressing than it is, but just the, the layer of, of maybe like, you were talking, Sam, about saying goodbye to your friends from high school. And the worst mistake that any show set in high school can make is the mistake of being like, well, all these characters are on the show, so they'll remain close together even when they go to college. And Friday Night Lights, whatever you want to say about how some characters get jobs that maybe in real life they wouldn't get so easily, it's very clear about this idea of high school's ending and these relationships are moving to a new level. And, uh, you know, on that note, I think we got to talk about a character who I almost want to say, like, her journey is maybe, like, the central journey of, of the season. Tyra 
who, mm-hmm. coming off a season where, I, we, we were talking about this last week, season two in a lot of respects, I think didn't do her a lot of favors just because it was depressing in a lot of respects and she felt like she was very removed from the show. Season three, for a show that is fundamentally about football, it focuses so much time and attention on her journey and she's the one character who is forever totally divorced from football. And for a lot of people, there's that weird side of senior year where you're entirely future focused and entirely like working on college stuff. And just to make this show basically about her like constant pushing and trying to get into college, I find it super inspiring. Um, What did you kind of feel about where we see Tyra at the start of the season and, and how that sort of trajectory goes over the course of season three? Well, it's interesting. I feel like Tyra kind of, they have a little bit of like two trajectories she's on this season. One is getting Tyra to college. That is by far the main one. That's the central focus. But then there's also, I feel like, getting Tyra back to Landry in a way. Not necessarily that she and Landry are going to remain a thing forever, but, you know, we mentioned that the start of the season, they just kind of throw it out there like, oh no, we broke up. And then they kind of, they have a little, I don't know if I should call him an obstacle. We'll talk about Cash in a minute. (laughs) But like he's there, and then ultimately her journey to want to get to college leads her back to Landry. They kiss again at the end. And so it's this interesting thing where Landry represents Tyra's potential in a way and like Tyra's future. And it's like if she can get back to the smart guy who's maybe not like the hottest cowboy in town, but... Like, if she can get there, then she can get back to the person she wants to be. And it's just a really interesting parallel that I fully love and enjoy. But because she does have a little bit of a rough time getting there, we do have to talk about Cash. Here's the thing about Tyra. Her running for student council president, one of my favorite Mm -hmm. moments in the show. The speech she gives is great. It's the speech that I always wanted a student council presidential nominee to give. Just kind of like, yeah, guys, like, let's be clear here. Like, I'm not going to tell you anything except for, like, what's the theme going to be for senior prom? I think the one misstep of this season is she becomes student council president And we never really hear about that except when there's a very brief appearance by the rest of the student council saying that they they need her back because they need a theme for winter formal. And then just the cash thing. That's the one thing that's funny. Uh, You you were mentioning earlier Oliver on the OC. That's the one plot line this season that feels very Oliver. It feels very like we know how this is going to end. We know she's not going to end up with this person. He clearly has some problem. We just don't know what it is yet. And then when Mm -hmm. it becomes clear what it is. I mean, his name's Cash. That's like problem number one. Um, (laughs) But I, I, I do find, I mean, the way that her and Landry function together is interesting because you're right to say that he represents a lot of things for her. And I think in some respects, the show's weird decision to basically retell their story from season two in season three, it's a strange decision. But at the same time, it works because you're right to say that it's not about Landry so much as it is about what she can become. And I think it really comes together in when she is kind of driving him down to the state championship and they're working on her college essay and she's kind of written this first draft of the essay, which I love. Uh, Landry makes the point of mentioning that she talks about Applebee's too much and she says <laughs> she says Applebee's is a metaphor, which at some point I'll, I'll write my think piece about what Applebee's is a metaphor for on Friday Night Lights. <laughs> but what I like about it is it leads her to this interesting moment that almost to me it, it brings this generation of Friday Night Lights to an interesting conclusion where she says, like, everything changed when Jason Street got paralyzed. It's a funny moment because at this point, you know, Street's no longer on the show, but it does remind you that 
that was kind of the big bang of Friday Night Lights. And who Tyra was the first time we saw her in the pilot, she was such a radically different human being. And what happened to Street changed everyone on the show. And I, I like how the show really works that into her plot line. And then again, I mean, this is a show where, like, there was a point where all of the kind of exciting tension came from who's going to win, like, this big game. And the fact that they shoot someone opening up a college envelope like it is a big mm-hmm. game and just everyone freaking out when she gets off the wait list, I, I like all of that. I, I like how the show manages to bring the awesomeness of a sports movie into the deeply bureaucratic and frustrating difficulty of like college admissions. You know what I mean? Like it's an interesting use of the show's strengths. We spoke to Adrian Palicki about this exact thing and you know, the question of the evolution of Tyra and you know, what to do with her going forward in the show. And I thought she made just the really good point about how, you know, where Tyra had to go and where she had to end up. I just, I love the evolution of Tyra. I love seeing her with all the different characters. I love the fact that, you know, I remember Jason Kadams called me and he goes, season three. And he goes, you know, I just really, he's like, I don't want you to not be on the show. He goes, but I really, I just have this feeling like Tyra needs to go to college. And I was like, she absolutely needs to go to college because everything else will be in vain. You know, it's like, this is a character that shows girls everywhere that you can do whatever you set your mind to, even if you're put in a position where it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. And so, like, I think I think Tyra's arc, aside from Riggins, is probably one of the biggest arcs of the show. It's also interesting because I'm sitting here and I feel like we've been talking a lot about, like we talked about Street, who was this character with all this potential and his dreams get ripped away. And it's kind of his decline, essentially, and what he's going to do to fix it. We have Smash, who's this larger than life character whose dreams get ripped away. And then Tyra is one of the only storylines that actually starts with like, She's at the bottom and she works her way up as opposed to being at the top and getting torn down. That's a really good point. As she says, when that happened to Street, she kind of realized, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, like, you know, oh, it's, it's not just bad for me, it's bad for everyone. And weirdly, that gives her the clarity to ascend where everyone else is sort of like, oh, no, like, we were on top, what do we do now? And I, that, You're right, that's a really interesting sort of almost oppositional parallel track to be following with her. Yeah, I love that. And I do think her story had to end with her in college I mean it's kind of the thing I was talking about with like I was bummed when Smash got injured because I wanted someone to have the happy ending but it's like this is someone who got their happy ending and and, you know Sam this is a season of farewells Mm -hmm. and at the end when I saw the season three finale for the first time not really knowing if the show was going to come back at that point there's an aspect of how it ends where it could be the ending. And for a lot of people, it is a sort of happy ending. But there's a little bit of, there's a real bittersweet side to how the season wraps up. And a lot of it kind of focuses in on what happens to Matt Saracen and what that future kind of means for him. This is a really interesting season for Matt Saracen in general. You know, when we meet him at the beginning, we very quickly realize that His trajectory was not what we were expecting. And the first episode has a scene that I always think is really interesting where Joe McCoy comes in to talk to Eric Taylor. Mm -hmm. And Joe McCoy, who we'll talk about in a second, he kind of lays a little bit of truth down, which is, you know, he's telling like, you know, Coach Taylor, oh, you know, you got to stay in one state with Matt Saracen. And Coach Taylor says, yeah, you know, he's, he's a good quarterback. And Joe McCoy says, he's not. He's a mediocre quarterback. 
And again, as someone who knowing very little, uh, very little about football, watching the first two seasons, I kind of thought, oh well, you know, of course, like Matt's good. Like you know, he got him to state, and you realize in this season, like, oh, not everybody is a Smash Williams. Mm-hmm. Like not not everybody is a super all star who's going to go on to a bright career in this. And where we go with Matt from there, getting demoted to backup quarterback, to you know trying to do something different on the team, to ultimately really struggling with like what is my future? Like, am I going to play in college? I think that's a journey that, in a season of a certain amount of wish fulfillment with some characters, I, watching that struggle, I always find to be really sensitive and really delicate. And of course, you know, this is not even mentioning all, all the family stuff that he goes through in this season. This season also, there's some all-time great Grandma Saracen <laughs> moments. My own favorite one is, you know, we've talked a lot about how she always looks up so much to Coach Taylor. When she finds out that Coach Taylor demoted Matt, <laughs> she gives him a piece of her mind in the middle of, you know, the local grocery store. And I just love... Everything about how about about that dynamic and her kind of playing off of Kyle Chandler, I just love so much. Um, this is also the the big action scene mm-hmm. for Grandma Saracen happens this season. Uh, we talked a little bit to Luann Stevens, who played Grandma Saracen, about the moment when she was willing to toss herself out of a moving vehicle, but uh, <laughs> the production had had a slightly different idea. Kim Dickens and I are standing outside the Saracen house, and this is going to be the scene. Uh, that the daughter-in-law is taking the mother-in-law to the grocery store and she doesn't like her and she jumps out of the car and falls out on the driveway. So at that time I had a bad right knee, which I've since had replaced. And uh, I was standing there by Kim and I said, wow, you know, this is going to be rough, but I'll, I'll just have to do it. And she said, Luann, you're going to have a stunt double. I said, oh, yeah, I knew that. Of course, of course. (laughs) I was just prepared to just throw myself out of the car for the part, you know. Don't want to be fired. (laughs) I mean, we've talked about Luann Stevens before. Her work on this show is just ridiculous. Incredible. Some of, like, she will have the smallest moments, and they are the things that stick with you forever. And this obviously was a bigger moment for her where she was clearly very dedicated based on what she told us. But I think this moment is forever changed for me after we spoke to Zach Guilford and he told us a little story about a quote-unquote blooper that happened while filming the scene. And it's one of the greatest things I've ever heard. She's amazing. And I always joke that, like, I had the easiest job on that show because the majority of my stuff was with either Lou Ann, Jesse Plemons, or Kyle Chandler. And it was like, all I had to do was show up and like, <laughs> and like they would just carry the scene. And all I had to do was like sit there and mumble. So they were great. And I saw Lou Ann in Texas a couple months ago and I hadn't seen her in, I don't know, four years. And like, we both started crying when we saw each other. <laughs> like, and she had, she had never met my wife and she was with me. I was like, Oh my God, this is your like, granddaughter-in-law <laughs> like my wife was like almost tearing up just because like me and her we still text each other and like you know season one she or throughout she would like she lived in dallas and when she'd come to town like sometimes she'd like have like cut out a newspaper clipping um of like an article that like said something nice about me um i just loved her so much and she's like the funniest coolest woman ever i mean there's the most embarrassing story ever was uh, we're shooting a scene, I think it was season four, and I'm like taking her to the car and she falls over 
or something, and I, like, help her up, and, like, I get mad at my mom. I don't even remember what was going on, but she falls over, and I go to, like, hold her, and blah, blah, and we get through the scene, and, like, at one point during the scene when I'm, like, rolling her over, my hand, like, kind of accidentally grabbed her boob, and, of course, I, like, you know, like, no one on camera could see, and Luann's, like, you know, she's hysterical, she's crying, like, blah, 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 and I'm, like, okay, I'm just clearly, she didn't, like, notice or whatever, I'm not going to, like, ruin this scene, this, like, you know, her intense moment to be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. So I just go with it and try and play it off. And then, uh, you know, we call cut. They're like, okay, cool, that was, that was great. You guys cool with it? Do you want to go again? Whatever. And who am I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. You know, it's a little weird that Zach grabbed my boob in the middle of the scene. <laughs> and I just, like, went white, like, red. I don't know. Like, called me out in front of the whole crew. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't want to. And she was laughing. She's like, I didn't care. It's nice to like have someone cop a feel. Um, but she's just amazing. <laughs> it, it, it certainly adds a new subtext to that scene, doesn't it? <laughs> Once you hear that story. Thinking about how season two, and, and you know, this is not me like ragging on season two, but just thinking about how season two pushed the show into this much larger than life drama arena. It feels like with this season, the writers and everyone involved realized, let's just focus on these very universal moments in, in a way, mm-hmm. and, and moments that are very relatable to everyone's high school experience. The way in which we get to Coach Taylor walking in on Julie yes. and Matt, it's interesting because, you know, it happens right after one of the show's crazier moments. Like, you know, Buddy gets into a fight, and that means mm-hmm. that Tammy can't pick up uh, Julie, so Eric has to go. He shows up early. The way it's shot and the way the camera just sort of stands outside of the Saracen household as he walks in, there's a scream, he walks out. (laughs) The stone face that Kyle Chandler has in that moment is just so much scarier than anything that he could have said. And just everything about that episode and the conversation that Tammy has with Julie, which it feels like it is, you know... This is a parent who doesn't want to be, you know, whack jobs who are going to say, like, you'll never see that boy again. But they want to have mm-hmm. a conversation about this. And I just think that the dexterity with which the actors navigate all those emotions and, you know, even Tammy kind of saying, like, I'm so happy that you're in love. And, you know, he seems like he is a really nice guy, but I wanted you to wait. And I just think that's, mm-hmm. I think that's great, you know? Like, it's, it's to, to think about how, a season ago, we kind of saw these characters in just a moment of incredible tension, and some of it was fun, some of it was just wild. I just, there's something very real feeling about that. I didn't experience that personally, but I feel like it taps into something universal. I, I want to be very clear about that. Even if you did, I think the only thing I would say is like, dang, your parents are eloquent if their speech <laughs> was anything like Tammy's. <laughs> no, but I will say, I think the thing I most love about that moment is the juxtaposition of what Tammy says to Julie versus what Eric then says to Matt. Because obviously Matt's mom or grandma, they're not going to give him a sex talk. His dad is overseas. And so Eric kind of takes it upon himself when Matt comes over. And it's, you know, it's minutes after we heard Tammy give this beautiful speech about how it's my job to protect you. All I ever want to do is protect your feelings. And it's kind of this great moment that I feel like all parents strive to be able to achieve at some point and then Matt walks out and all Eric says to him like between like scrubbing this grill to death is he says like women are to be respected that is my daughter like those are the (laughs) only sentiments that he passes off and it's just the perfect way for me of like here's two men communicating 
Here's two women communicating, also in very different circumstances, because he is not Matt's father. But it's just like, I love the way that they showed both sides of that so close together. And then from there on out, they don't really talk about it again. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's just, it feels like a lesser show would make it so much more of a quote-unquote drama moment. And instead, the way they talk it out, and the respect that Matt has, and the respect that they have for him, it's all good stuff. And, you know, while we're on the topic of interesting, difficult conversations, um, I think we should wrap up by talking about Taylor's, and about the McCoys, Mm -hmm. and how, to some extent... These two families, one family who we followed from the beginning, one family who comes in, their dynamic is so interesting when I rewatch season three. You know, I I think the other reason why I like season three so much is I think 13 episodes was exactly right for this show. It's the right amount of episodes so you can do these interesting kind of breakaway stories, you know, whether it's buddies, kids are visiting and, and they go on a camp out, whether it's, you know, a greater focus on minor characters like Billy and Mindy. With 13 episodes, you can have that stuff, but there's also always this great backbone of like where are we in the season and you know the fact that after episode 7 they're on their way to playoffs and they're at state in episode 12 you know it it doesn't feel accelerated it just feels like there's not quite the same kind of wandering sensibility that you know we maybe got in in the back half of season 1 even so I think it's really clever how the first second you meet Joe McCoy you know this is going to be a problem. And I think that the way Kyle Chandler plays a lot of the stuff this season, he kind of knows that every decision he's making, rewatching it, I get the sense that he knows that this is bad. Somehow this will not end well. Somehow making J.D. McCoy the starting quarterback, it's giving power to Joe McCoy, and there's something unsettling about that. But meanwhile, you know, Tammy Taylor has found a great new friend in Katie McCoy and their dynamic and, and, and their back and forth, I think is so great. I think what the McCoys bring out in the Taylors is really interesting. You know, there's that sub layer to their dynamic of the McCoys are like the richest family in town. Joe mm-hmm. McCoy, I think is some kind of beer magnate. He's some kind of job where he can move to a new town just for his son's football career and immediately become like the bad guy from Roadhouse of that town. You know, <laughs> like he's completely in charge right away. And I just love how, it's such a simmer the whole season, and then it becomes like just this boiling explosion at the end. You know, I have some qualms about the ultimate portrayal of Joe McCoy, maybe just because, like, Sam, he's a loon ball. Like, he's, I mean, like, like you know, I, I can understand, like, driving your son hard. Sure. He seems, like, jealous of Madison when Madison starts dating his son. It is so <laughs> bizarre. And, like, I, I love the extremity of it, but it's, it's a very, like, interesting performance that ultimately, you know, that character just becomes such a black hat in so many ways. Which, again, like, I, I like that dynamic, but it's ultimately super extreme. <laughs> right. Well, it's something we haven't seen before on this show But something that I think is very prominent in that kind of like subculture, especially of like Texas football, which is the overbearing, maybe slightly jealous parent. Because, you know, we've seen like the Grandma Saracens who will tell Matt to shuffle his feet. But like ultimately she's just there to love and support him. Or, you know, Jason Street's parents were just like a dream. And there are all these kind of different variations of it. But then you have the kid who is great because he has to be great or else 
he like will be kicked out of his family. I don't know what would happen to him. I mean, he gets like physically abused at the end. Right. And what's interesting is that abuse, it's all about power. And mm-hmm. I think that's why I find that dynamic so interesting because Coach Taylor, in some respects, is a powerful person. In other respects, as we learn at the end of this season, has no power whatsoever. And Joe McCoy, you just feel all along that even when he wants to work with Eric Taylor, even when he's kind of praising Eric Taylor for being a great coach, you feel that he's kind of like, but also like, I'm going to own you. Like, here's mm-hmm. here's some scotch. Here's some Cuban cigars. Like, you're going to be like invested with me. And I I'm going to sort of control you. And I just think that, I mean, I think you're right, Sam. We talked about this a little bit before, but the moments on this show when you're kind of like, oh, but this is actually how a lot of parents probably are. Right. Like, this is this is actually the bitter reality of <laughs> Texas high school football is really, really interesting. Um, J.D. McCoy, just to spoil where that's going a little <laughs> bit, knowing his role in season four mm-hmm. and how he is situated to the characters in season four This is one of the most depressing storylines I can think of. Because you think the story is going to be, here's this kid who's been so programmed and who's been, you know, he's almost more modern in the sense that, like, the other characters we've seen who are great football players, they're great football players, but they're very rooted in their community and they're Mm -hmm. very rooted in their team. And he is so completely this kid who's just been, like, from probably age three or age four, it's been a profession for him, this kind of nonstop, like, spin cycle. And you think the ultimate story is going to be Riggins will help him kind of open up and he will kind of become a more you know part of the community no that is not where it's going and upon a rewatch I found that to be especially tragic in a way I mean like we see a lot of other characters who go in the other direction we see how Smash becomes a sort of more community centric person boy oh boy that's not the ultimate story of J.D. McCoy (laughs) I do I think it's extremely tragic but I love I love that you have people like The Riggins brothers, who, like, if you look at their house or their way of living, like, you would think that's your tragic story. I mean, just, like, look, like, their dad is gone, all these things. And then you bring in this, like, bright and shiny new family that has the beautiful mansion and the talented son and all the money in the world. And they are the saddest characters on that TV show. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about how the season wraps up mm-hmm. because, you know, as, as you said, Sam, like we're building to what I think is maybe, I think it's the most interesting choice for a finale where they go to state in the second to last episode. And everything about that episode reverberates really interestingly from where, from where they were in season one, because the penultimate episode, it starts with like, there's a big rally. Everyone's cheering. Here are the future state champions. Tyra's on stage, you know, um, introducing them. Everyone's cheering. The feeling of the show is a little sour and a little paranoid and a little sad because during that scene, Tammy is talking to her vice principal about what do I do about like, you know, the physical abuse that, that I witnessed and how will this sort of affect the team and how will this affect like JD. And so even like everything in that episode, which should feel triumphant, I mean, even if they don't win the game, you should have this sense of like, you know, this is great. We're at state. It's so exciting. And everything about it just feels a little bit off and a little bit sad. And some of it is just this graceful sense of reaching an ending. And, you know, there's that great scene at the end after they've lost of Riggins being on that football field and not not even knowing where his storyline goes. You kind of feel like this is the end for him with football. Even if he were to play in college, this would be the high point. Then you get to the finale 
which I think is the one time on this show that you see springtime. <laughs> and a lot of sad things happen. I mean, you know, there is a sense that a lot of these relationships may be reaching an end point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is certainly a sense that Eric Taylor, having given his all to this team, is now being kind of, le- you know, left to hang out to dry. And for some reason, that episode, it leaves you on a nice note of like, I'm not sure if happy is the right word, but it, it feels <laughs> graceful. You, you, you feel happy watching it. Maybe it's just the wedding, which is like two of the best wedding bands of all time. Sure. But you do feel like, okay, like it's all going to be okay, even though terrible things are happening to Coach Taylor. And I've always found that to be kind of interesting. But how do you, how do you feel about, like, about, about the whole East Dillon thing and about how that kind of plays out uh, over those last couple of episodes? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I feel like as much as it was devastating and it was a sad ending, in a lot of ways it was an inevitable ending because since the pilot they have planted these seeds that you know if you don't win you're out this is a town where football matters above all else but they've never really followed through on that I mean like sure people have you know vandalized things whatever but like they really had to prove that football is top priority here and that Sometimes people like Joe McCoy do have that influence. And as annoying as it is, like the guy with all of the more like all the morals and all the character isn't going to come out on top. But it's also it's such an interesting journey, I think, because we have watched for three seasons. We have watched Coach Eric Taylor, like maker of men. We have watched him take these kids in these awful situations and just like teach them how to rise up, how to overcome it smash gets injured he like nurtures him back to health he sends him on his way now he has to pull himself up and that's what's really interesting and obviously like anything where you give kyle chandler an opportunity to like you know do something different play that kind of emotional story like i'm in he's i mean i mean like kyle chandler's performance on this show has always been so good and what i love about him in season three is he has this way of at moments when you would think he and everyone else should feel happy in that scene of them celebrating before they go to state he has a way of looking very unsettled and very like it, it's on a confused face. It's just sort of a face that looks... It looks like he's tense at moments when no one else should feel that way. And I think you're right, Sam, that the payoff for that is this final episode. That, like, you know, here is a character who... He has won the state championship once. He's gotten them back to the state championship just now. You know, you're wondering, like, yo, bro, like, why so serious? Why so sad? <laughs> and it's like, oh, this is why. Like, they will turn on you because, not because you had a losing season, because you didn't make it to state. We talked about this uh, a little bit in, in our pilot episode, but the first thing we ever heard about Coach Taylor was he was the new head coach because he was so close to Jason Street. He had been coaching Jason Street, this incredible quarterback. And the show calls no attention to this, but I love the sort of return to that because, of course, who is replacing him? It's Wade Aikman, who has had a close relationship with the, with the next sort of great Jason Street, with someone who's actually better than Jason Street. Here's one thing that we can kind of like, like, like take heart in, is that J.D. McCoy does not have a good end. And, and this whole notion of, well, we don't need a great coach, we have a great quarterback, you know, we'll see how that plays out, and it doesn't play out as well as Dylan might have thought. But I just, I, I think you're right, Sam. It feels like on a show that could give you just a lot of great emotional cathartic moments, they always had to at some point prove 
this town can turn on people. Mm-hmm. And, and this town can turn on people when you least expect it. And I just love Tammy coming into the Riggins wedding and sort of just looking at Kyle Chandler. And Kyle Chandler, his line reading of, you gotta be kidding me. I just, cause you're, you're right, just like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, how has this possibly happened? It's interesting to me, you know, we talked about this a little bit with season one. The show by this point, it was pretty clear it was never going to be a big ratings show. They'd already kind of like established the DirecTV deal. Mm-hmm. It feels like the show could have ended here, you know? Like it feels like it would have been a bittersweet ending, but you're very aware in that last shot of Eric and Tammy are together, if nothing else, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and I like that. It makes me realize that, you know... I said at the top of this uh, of this episode that this is my favorite season. Mm-hmm. In some respects, I, I think this season, it's not quite a full story. It's more like an epilogue to a story. You know, like the first story of Friday Night Lights is season one. And the second story in a lot of respects is season four and five, which is like, you know, it's, it's, it's about the same length of time. It's mm-hmm. about a whole new batch of people. It's like, okay, they had the success. What's going to happen next? And I, I like that a lot. I, I, think, I think it gives the end of this season just a real harsh sense of reality, but also of like, you know, we've seen Eric Taylor do so much. Can he now pull himself up from his right. bootstraps and I just I love ending on that note I think it speaks to the show's complexity let's let's just quickly address Sam that wedding mm-hmm. the Riggins wedding you get everybody all together Mindy's Grandma wearing wings. Grandma Sarah shows up her wings the wings and like the dress that's also showing just a little bit of her butt like <laughs> I, I just think it's great I, I love all the guys all dressed in their like fantastic like like you know like dressed all in white um, I, there's just something so joyful about that and it's funny because v- very not so joyful things are happening around it mm-hmm. but man you're just like god when this show throws a party like I want to be at that party where that wedding leaves off with Billy and Tim I think that's maybe the most emotional moment of that relationship mm-hmm. Billy who when we met him just seemed like he was such a goof telling Tim like A like we need to do better by our kids mm-hmm. and be like, I want to tell my kids that Uncle Timmy went to college. Just talk about expanding the breadth of this show and, and the sensibility of it. I just think that to have taken a character like that who was such a goofball and given him a line like that, I, oh, man, I mean, it just tingles, tingles slamming Sammy. <laughs> well, I love it because also I feel like on the other side of it, we've talked a lot about Tim's emotional maturity this season. And I think everything from the moment he walks out on that field and leaves his cleats behind, just like the idea that he could wrap his head around like, okay, I'm done with this chapter of my life. Like, that's huge. Like, I can't, I still can't do that now as an adult when someone's like, you know, your friend's getting married. You can't hang out with them anymore. I'm like, no, my life is ending. It's just like, he, <laughs> he has all my friends, I'm sorry, all my friends who got married. I don't feel that way. Um, but it's like just Tim is so able to look at life for what it is, appreciate it, move on from it. And that goes from him leaving his cleats on the field to what he says to Lila at that wedding, <sighs> which is like, I mean, fall in love with Tim Riggins all over again. Of course, Lila is talking about, like, does she need to go to Vanderbilt? She can go and be with him. They can find a way to do college and still be together. And he says, I'm not going to be that guy to stop you from achieving your dreams. Don't let me be that guy. That is just dreamy. And this is really, I think, the core of Tim Riggins as this figure who you love and who's kind of tragic. He seems very aware of the fact that everyone around him 
has these dreams. Mm-hmm. And in some in some respects, maybe his tragic flaw is he kind of doesn't really. <laughs> I mean, like he's. I mean, like, you know, I don't. I don't mean to say like he's dumb at all. I just mean that like he thinks that he is at his happiest like when the show begins and mm-hmm. as much as he matures and as much as he adapts you know there is that great line when he's talking to Billy earlier in that episode about like Billy like you know I can go to San Antonio there's no bar like Smitty's where I can just be myself <laughs> like where's where's the me time Billy and it's this interesting dynamic with him where he almost seems to be able to see very clearly that he is the way he is and the people around him have to go off and do something else and I just love that I mean you know the more I watch his performance the more I realize the fundamental brilliance of Tim Riggins and Taylor Kitsch is he is the most like good old boy Texas dude like cowboy from a hundred years ago and he's being played by like a very nice Canadian boy and something about that dynamic creates the perfect human being (laughs) Sam uh, as we're kind of wrapping up uh, do you have any other kind of big moments from season three that you want to call out or any other uh, key character moments that really stuck out to you on this rewatch I mean, I think we just have to mention the very, very sweet Matt. You know, obviously he thought he was going to go off and go to Chicago and chase his art dreams. Again, Luann Stevens, a freaking queen of just like he drops her off at the nursing home where she's going to have to live if he goes to Chicago because he won't be there to take care of her. And it's so upsetting. And she just wants her chair and all this wonderful stuff. And then in the very end, he decides, like, no, I'm going to stay around here and deliver pizzas. Like, just, like, do anything so that I can be here for my grandmother, which, again, for him, as someone who's, like, going into adulthood is very sad and like you're giving up your dream but also it's this beautiful moment of like I got you grandma and like it's Matt being Matt I mean come on yeah, it's it's an interesting, that is the one moment in the finale that feels to me like some of the other kind of like high school shows I was talking about this sort of moment of like we were kind of on the edge of the harsh reality and mm-hmm. now the character is saying like, you know, no, Julie, like, we're not going to break up. We're going to be fine. Grandma, we're going to be fine. I'm going home. And I think it works better rewatching it now, knowing that that kind of creates the problem for Matt in season four. The, the show is not saying like, this is the exact right move to make. The show is kind of saying, well, like, we have some characters who are going off. We have, you know, Tyra is, is is going off to college. Lila is going to Vanderbilt. Tim, at this point, seems to be going away to college. You know, we've seen Street and Smash leave. Like, what, what if Matt sticks around here? And, you know, we'll, we'll kind of follow up on that in season four, which I believe you've said is your favorite season, right, Sam? I do love it. It's so hard. Like, I, picking a favorite season of this show is, like, my least favorite thing. Obviously, like, you've got, I mean, season one is so great. But, yeah, there is just some, there is a special place in my heart for the storyline that begins in season four and continues through season five. And, like, oh, I love me some East Dillon. Yeah, we're we're moving into a new phase uh, of the show, and we're leaving some of these characters behind. And some of them, some of them may pop up again in uh, in interesting ways. Um, I want to just call out really briefly a scene from this season that I always think about that really speaks to why the Taylors are just the best couple and most uh, inspirational couple on television. 
the episode where Tammy is looking at the new house. Uh, you know, K- Katie McCoy has shown her this house. It's been repossessed. They can get it cheaper than usual, but still quite expensive. How that plays out with Eric comes to the house. He's stressed out about other things. He says there's no way we can afford this. And, you know, the point that Tammy tries to get at is not give me this house. We need this house. We'll be happy. The point is come back to the house, look at it with me, and let's talk about this. I, I feel like that's almost Tammy's like main idea is let's talk this out. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to think of that being on a football show where football is in a lot of respects the most kind of like violent example that we, you know, support in society of not talking, you know, not talking over conflict. <laughs> the back and forth between them when they get back there and Kyle Chandler's acting choices as he looks around the house and looks at her and is clearly trying to figure out how to say what he's about to say. And then what he says is, you know, I want to give you this house. I want to give the girls this house. We just can't afford it. And the fact that Tammy kind of smiles and says, you know, that's all I needed. I just think that, man, I mean, to look at a show for relationship advice is sometimes a bad idea. (laughs) But I think about that all the time. I think about like, you know, how do you approach something? How do you make something work when there's a big decision to be made in a a relationship? So, man, the Taylors, they got a lot of tough times ahead, but they're going to be okay, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler, they're going to be just fine. We want to hear from, from everyone listening out there. Uh, if you've got comments or questions, favorite moments from season three, your top 15 crying moments from season three, <laughs> I can I can literally make like 25. We want to hear from you. Email us at binge at EW.com or tweet at us. I'm at Darren Franich. I'm at Sam Highville. Don't forget to subscribe um, on iTunes. Leave us a nice review. We love hearing from you and hearing what you think. And uh, Sam, we're heading east next week. We're going to East Dillon. And more importantly, Michael B. Jordan. We're we're about to meet a young actor who, <laughs> I'm going to call it, has a pretty bright future. I'm going to bet Lila's college fund on that. <laughs>